thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles, would you, to Psalm number 40. That's where we'll begin today in Psalm number 40 as we finish up our series on what is Calvary Aurora and what, what is God doing through us? Where did we come from? Where are we headed? What exactly are the spiritual principles that we use to answer questions and to guide us as a leadership team and as a church family? And as I was putting these studies together and expanding them here and trimming them there, I couldn't help but be so grateful to Jesus Christ for interrupting my sinful life. He inter- interrupted my life by his love, drawing me closer to himself, He put a friend in my life that was born again that I grew up with. And and I couldn't help but think uh, how encouraging it is and how different my life is today because of the faithful work of Jesus Christ in my life. Just like it says here, I waited patiently for the the Lord, verse 1, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Now for me, I'm encouraged. I'm I'm just so grateful for the work of God. But I have to ask you, are you grateful for the work of God in your life? Are you grateful for his salvation? Why don't you give God praise today for being grateful for your salvation? Imagine how bad it would be where you would be right now apart from him. The direction of your family. The, the, man, it's, I, we don't want to dwell too long on this. But for a brief moment thinking, man, if it wasn't for the Lord, where would I be? Where would my kids be? What kind of heritage or legacy would I leave to generations behind me if it wasn't for God interrupting my life, changing the whole course of your life and mine, putting our feet on a solid rock? But you know, Psalm 40, the context of Psalm 40 is for a believer. A believer is saying this. And and a believer, you know, David is saying, I've stumbled and I've fallen and God has got me back. So it's not just, we use it as an application for salvation, but this is ongoing. God is continually delivering you, continually pulling you out of things. Though a man falls seven times, the Bible says, he will rise again. And that's the truth of this. This gratefulness is ongoing. We don't just have to go all the way back to when we were born again, but this is our life. We are sustained by the grace of God and by his power in our lives. And we've been looking at these principles that have guided our church, that, that move us forward, where we came from and where we're going. For by way of review, I'll read to you the previous 10 and give you the scripture reference just by way of review. And number one, we learned that the ministry belongs to God. Zechariah chapter four, verse six. It's not our church, it's his church. He's our shepherd and our pastor. Number two, we learned that God wants inspiration, not just perspiration. And that's a funny way of saying You know, God wants us to be led by the Spirit. He doesn't want us just working, 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 trying to please God, but rather being led by the Spirit, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. Number three, we learn, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. And how important it is for us not to be rigid and unmovable, but rather like new wineskins that God can pour a new work of His Spirit into 
That's Philippians, or Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Number four, we learn where and when God guides, He's faithful to provide. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. He'll give us everything that we need as He's guiding us, taking care of us. Financially, physically, everything we need, God is our provider. Number five, we must be the servant of all. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Everyone in the church of Jesus Christ is all about servanthood. It doesn't matter what title you hold, what position you might have, what responsibility has been entrusted to you. As a matter of fact, just the opposite of the way the world works, the more responsibility is given to you, the more we're to serve. How do we learn that? Jesus said when he came, he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Next, we learn in number six that it's my responsibility as a pastor to feed the sheep consistently, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, through the whole counsel of God. We, there's a word for that. It's called expository teaching. And we go through the Bible. And that's what we do here. That's how we handle the Bible here. We teach through it verse by verse. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 13. Number seven, prayer is the backbone and the fuel of our church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, where it says, pray without ceasing. And we all can pray more, we all should pray more, and we all praying more, seeking God. We're asking Him for direction. We're not looking all over the place for direction, we're asking God through prayer. Number eight, we learn healthy sheep reproduce healthy sheep. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. The Bible describes us as followers of Christ, describes us, one of the pictures is as a sheep. And that makes sense because Jesus is described as a shepherd. Actually, Jesus is described as the good shepherd. And as the word of God comes in us and we are well fed and taken care of, then we naturally want to tell people about the Lord. We want to tell people about victory in our lives. We want to tell people about the hope of salvation. And healthiness is important and healthiness comes from the word of God. Number nine, We passionately adore God through heartfelt worship. And this is John chapter 4, verse 24. The focus on this one was indeed worship through music and song. As every generation of God followers, of Christians, of those that followed him in the old covenant, they sang to God. And we sing together. It's not just a time filler. But when we sing, we sing heartfelt It's so important to speak to our hearts. Sometimes you'll leave here and the music ministered to you more than the word when you leave. Praise God. We're singing songs that adore and glorify God, getting our eyes on Him. Number 10. It's the final one we looked at last time. We are to be submissive and unconditionally loyal to God. Over and over again, James chapter 4, verse 7, we're told, submit to God. Resist the devil, submit to God, he'll flee from you. Submission is important in any relationship. Number 11, that's today. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. If you're new to the study, just dropping in, you're visiting today, uh, we are going to give you the verse, and I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to give you the principle and give a little bit of explanation and teaching on that principle and how it relates to our church and how it relates to our lives. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 says that we shall no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, 
Christ. Here's the principle. We desire to strike a theological balance here at Calvary as we teach the Bible. We want to be theologically balanced. A lot of division exists in the body of Christ and comes from people arguing about scriptures and not caring about the lost. So we've always sought to be balanced theologically as a ministry, purposely avoiding the extremes that are out there today. And there are a lot of extremes out there today and giving much more fuel to that through social media and through blogging the internet where you just kind of search through things and see everybody has a point and everybody wants to argue and everybody wants to, instead of just teaching the Bible and accepting that there are going to be differences on secondary things. Now on the primary things, absolutely no wavering. Jesus Christ, the only way to salvation. God in triune. He's the only God. He's the only God. There aren't two gods and five gods. The only God manifested in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe in the virgin birth. We sang that song today. We believe in essentials, and there's no wavering. But for secondary matters, we should respect the fact that there are going to be disagreements and choose not to argue over them. There are charismatic extremes out there, reformed Calvinistic extremes, in times extremes, word of faith, false teaching extremes, which Bible do you, version do you use extremes, and even extremes that deny spiritual gifts are for the day, for today. And as we teach the word, we're going to teach the word, what it says in context, what the definition of the word might mean, what the historical context is, and we will teach you seeking to strike a balance. And as we teach God's Word, we're not going to be using the theological systems of Calvinism or Arminianism. As a matter of fact, we have a statement in our statement of faith. And it's in that for those that might be concerned about it. And this is what it says. We are neither five-point Calvinists, nor are we Arminians. We adhere firmly to the biblical teaching of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And we avoid any theological systems of belief that go beyond the written word and therefore divide the body of Christ. Now, for some of you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You've never heard these things before. And that's perfectly fine. Just keep your eyes on the Lord. Worship Him. And you don't need to be concerned. But for some people, they are concerned about this. And we just want to teach the word simply, the whole counsel of God that might develop a whole believer and stay away from all sorts of winds of doctrine that flow through the church. Our desire is to point you to Jesus, keeping you in that first love experience. I desire to instruct you in the clear teachings of the Bible, not being sidetracked into useless arguments. There's just so much attacking going on today. I mean, it's one thing to teach what you believe. And I respect that. I respect that with those that I have a difference with. I respect that they're teaching what they believe. And, and you should teach with conviction what you believe. But then to turn that into an attack or to try to tear a brother down or try to destroy a ministry, that's not from the Lord. That just doesn't respect, that doesn't reflect the agape love of God at all. It would be better for your theology to be tested out in the highways and byways of life. And instead of sending an email arguing about things, because I know when I start teaching on these things and I mention these things, you might even already pulled your phone out to start to email me to try to argue with me. 
And I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to argue with you. I don't have the time to argue with you. I don't have the time to get in the clinches and go, but you know, Ed, this and you. The Bible tells me, and you, this important truth, Titus chapter 3, verse 9. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Useless literally means in the original language, empty, fruitless, and aimless. And so I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to respond to your email. God bless you. I love you. Tell me how your theology works with people getting saved and discipled. Tell me how it is in your neighborhood where you're sharing the gospel with your neighbor across the street, because that's all that really matters. What matters is, is that in these secondary things and how we view things, that, that we set them aside for the sake of the gospel and the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, we used to have this on our bulletin. We don't anymore, but it is on our website. It's a very important principle of our church. Let me read it to you, and it's a, a summary paragraph of our ministry. We are not a denominational church. We are not opposed to denominations as such. Only their overemphasis of doctrinal differences that have led to the division of the body of Christ. We believe that the only true basis of Christian fellowship is His agape love, which is greater than any differences we possess and without which we have no right to claim ourselves as Christians. Jesus said that they will know us by our love for one another not by our arguing, not by our battling, not by our backbiting, not by our division. And I was just looking through YouTube recently, looking for something, and I came across all these things popping up. And, and man, if I was an unbeliever, watching some of those things, I didn't even watch them, but watching them and seeing them and seeing the title of them, I'm like, man, what is, what is up with the body of Christ? What's up with the church? And that's on us. And so here we're stri- we're, we attempt to strike a balance. We do our best. I don't, I don't know that we're perfect. I think one of the things in heaven that God's going to show us on some of these secondary things of how wrong we all were. And so you missed it. You missed it. You were so involved in all that theology that you missed me. And we don't want that in our lives. We want that. Remember when you were a new believer before you knew anything? Where, like me, you, know, you were like me. When I was a new believer, I didn't even own a Bible. But I'll tell you what, man, I loved God. When I was born again, I fell in love with the one that showed me love first, the one that drew me to himself, the the one that preached the gospel to me through my pastor and said, I love you, I want to save you. It was only after I started learning things that then arguing started. I'm like, man, I learned this and I want to argue about this instead of lovingly discipling and growing people. That's number 11. Number 12, Psalm 34, verse 8. Psalm 34, verse 8. And we read that in our psalm this morning together. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Here's the principle, number 12. When confronted with something we don't understand, always fall back on that which we do understand. When confronted with something we don't understand, It's wise to hold on to and fall back on the things that we do understand. Let me say it a different way to help bring about an understanding. When don't give up what you know to be true, don't give up what you know to be true 
just because right now you're facing things that you don't understand. This is really speaking to us in the realm of trials and difficulties. There are just those times in our lives where such a heavy things happen to us, such a heavy difficulties come to us, that we are disoriented and not understanding what's going on. There are those times in life where we all face them that our world is rocked, our world is shaken, it's turned upside down by some circumstance, by some difficulty or a series of them, and there you are. You thought you were strong, and you thought you were walking with Jesus, but now you don't understand what in the world is going on. Your life is beginning to doubt everything you've ever believed. You, you are wondering what's happening. And a faith that was once so strong has been shaken. You thought you were building your life on the rock, just like Jesus said. But now this trial, you're like, wait a minute. Maybe I wasn't building on the rock. Maybe I was building on the sand. And you feel like you're sinking, sinking, sinking. If you haven't been there yet, you will soon enough. Life is difficult. Life is hard. The Bible says through many tribulations we'll enter into the kingdom of God. And when, in, when we face times like that, we need to learn to hold on to the things that we know to be true while God clears out the fog. Now, we don't get fog here very much. I remember having fog in Southern California. You know, it could get so thick and, and you had to be careful. Just like the, the, the easiest thing that I can think of that compares here in Colorado is a real heavy snowstorm that you've got to drive in. And it's dark, and the snow's coming down, and you know, the, even if you don't put your high beams on, but even when you do put your high beams on, which you should never do, but even when you don't, the way the light goes off the snow and the way the snow's gone over, it just disorients you. I mean, you got to slow down, and you're, you're looking for the line, and you're like, whoa, I think I'm just going to pull over for a little bit and let it pass. I mean, you just get so disoriented. You were going 60 miles before, but now this big snowstorm, it gets dark and dreary, and you don't know which way to go. You get dizzy. You're just... Life can be like that sometimes. And when life's like that, we got to go back to, well, what do we know for sure? What have we experienced? Well, one thing I, I know we know for sure is God is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I know that God is love. I know that God loved me in the good times. He's going to love me in the bad times. I know that God's nature never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I know that God has promised to never leave me or forsake me. I know that God has promised and revealed himself as the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulations. I know that even, even in the worst condition, I know even in the worst condition where when I'm faithless, the Bible says God remains faithful. And when you face things you don't understand, our church has been rocked over the years in the time that we've been here. And this is what we hold fast, to trust God, no matter what's rocking uh, the church, what kind of attacks coming from the church on the outside or the inside, we're going to keep studying on, knowing that God loves us. And of course, our lives have been rocked. Some of you have come into the sanctuary today, and your life is just foggy and disorienting, and you know, wants, a, wants your prayers where I trust you, God, and I love you. I trust you with what you're doing, and now your prayers are, how could you possibly use this, Lord? Why would you do this? Why would you allow this? I know your word says you work all things together for the good, but I don't get it. I don't understand it. I, I don't grasp it. And it's in times like those, friends, we have to fall back on what we know to be true. You could even be feeling like, I can't hold on anymore, Ed. I'm letting go. I can't do it anymore. My grip is too, too weak, and I'm just done. I'm letting go. Well, I'd encourage you, let go. 
let go because the emphasis in the Bible is not you holding on to God, but it's God holding on to you. That's what we learn in John chapter 10. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hands. So just let go and trust Him. Come back to Him in simple faith. Number 13, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This is a beautiful principle of our church. And as I said before, these are in no particular order. No particular order. I just put them together and didn't try to prioritize them. They're all important. Some are more important than the others for sure. This is a great one. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose you in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And you can go on being predestined to adoption, the good pleasure of his will, to the praise, verse 6, of the glory of his grace by which he's made us accepted in the beloved. Here's the principle. Here at Calvary, we emphasize what God has done for us, not what we should do for God. The emphasis of our ministry is what God has done for you and what he continues to do for you. That's the doctrine of grace. The bedrock and the foundation of our ministry, and I believe of the love of God, is the grace of God. That's the ministry of grace upon which this fellowship rests. And we want to continually remind you of his great love and strong mercy and wonderful grace in your life. Now, if you're taking notes, there are three words you need to understand that will give you a grasp, uh, including the word grace, on how important grace is. The first word is the word judgment. The word judgment. The definition of judgment is getting what you deserve. Now, aren't you glad you haven't gotten what you deserve? That Jesus Christ has taken the judgment of sin upon himself so that you and I don't get what we deserve. But if you uh, committed a crime and you were tried and found guilty and you're standing before the judge on that day of sentencing and there you are and the judge gives you the maximum sentence, what he is doing is pronouncing judgment on you. That's judgment. You get what you deserve. Secondly is the word mercy. The word mercy, definition of mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy. That same judge, that same thing, you stand before the judge on the day of sentencing and if they give you a chance to talk, what will you say? Please show mercy on me. Show mercy on me. I know what I did. I know what I'm guilty. My lawyers explained to me what the penalty is, but I'm asking you, judge, would you be merciful to me? Sort of like, you know, if you're wrestling with your sibling when you were younger and they're about ready to pound you into the ground one last time and you cry out to them, mercy, mercy, mercy. And what are you saying? Please don't punch me in the face. You win. Mercy. And how beautiful it is when we show mercy to one another, not giving to each other what we think they deserve. The third word is grace, which is more beautiful than the previous two. Judgment, getting what you deserve. Mercy, not getting what you deserve. Grace, grace is getting what you don't deserve. The overwhelming love of God and His mercy. It's the unmerited, unearned favor of God. 
or as someone once put it, using the word grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's the great exchange. By faith and repentance, you and I receive the abundance of blessings through Jesus Christ in exchange for the wrath of God and the full weight and penalty of sin to be placed upon his shoulders on the cross in exchange for you and me. It's beautiful. Our ministry is an emphasis of grace. He's done so much for us. God doesn't love you because of what you do. He loves you because his nature is to love. Everything God does is out of love. And it's by his grace that we're here and it's by his grace that we live. That's what I disciple the pastors, the leadership, the servants, the vol- all of us. We are all are walking in and sustained by and must stay in the grace of God. The Bible describes it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us. And, and we want you, we want to, in our ministry, we want to direct you past us and into the arms of Jesus Christ, to his word, to his wonderful grace. We don't want to train you to depend on man. We don't want to train you that, that everything about is what you do and how you relate to others. Ministry, grace-based ministry, is one that is free-flowing in the love of God, one that is merciful, one that is forgiving, one that, that establishes the, the, the holiness of God. And, and you, you never know how much you've fallen if you didn't understand the holiness of God. But God loves you even if you failed. God loves you today even as, I know there are those listening in that, that don't have a relationship with God, that you've rejected Jesus Christ, you've resisted the Holy Spirit in your life, but God still loves you and is still sending messengers into your life, still surrounding you with his love through tangible people, still blessing. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. God doesn't withhold his rain. You know, in your neighborhood, the rain doesn't just come on the lawn of your neighbor, you know, or you. you. Here you are, the Christian. No, everyone else has brown lawn, but you have green. Why? Because God makes sure it just rains on your lawn alone. Although I feel like that with one of my neighbors because this looks like a golf course. But not, God doesn't like that. He loves you. And he draws you with his cords of love. Paul would say it this way, don't you know that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance? Have you tasted of the goodness of God yet? He loves you. Send his son Jesus Christ to die for you. Number 14 as we wind down. Number 14 now. is Galatians chapter 3 verse 28. We are there just a few pages to the left. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28. Here's the scripture. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here's the principle. Calvary Chapel Aurora is a ministry to everybody. To everybody. Now by the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul to write this, he is not eliminating distinctions. This isn't a statement of distinctions where now there's no more male and female. Those distinctions still exist in the human realm. But when it comes to the spiritual realm, God saves Jews and Greeks the same. God saves those that might be slave or free the same. God saves men or women. The distinctions that we have on earth have nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has sent his son Jesus Christ to save anyone that will turn to him. And we therefore are a ministry to everybody. Our church is open to anyone and everyone across the board no matter what. And as you look around, you'll notice that. 
You'll see people from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of nationalities, all kinds of economic, all, I mean, it is the cross-section of the world is the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is saving people out of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And we're ministry to everyone. Why? Well, the most popular verse, I believe, in all the world for all time, I'm going to ask you what you think it is. What do you think the most popular Bible verse of all time is? I would agree with you. Probably running a second. I didn't look it up to make sure, but probably running a close second is somewhere in Psalm 23. The whole thing, all of it, because it's easy to memorize. So John 3.16, most of us have memorized that. So together, let's go ahead and recite it. You ready? For God, the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So depending on what version you memorized it in, you just shared it. I like the old King James. I like the old King James. That's the first way I memorized it. And I like the word whoever. I like it the way it's translated, whosoever. Jesus Christ came. The invitation goes out to whosoever. Aren't you glad that it was whosoever and you were included in that invitation? You were a whosoever at once. You were way out there somehow. And if it wasn't you and your family, somewhere in your line, if you kind of trace it, somewhere God apprehended someone in your family that it traced down that you were raised in a godly home. When I moved to Colorado here, in great hopes and anticipation of maybe God would use me to pastor a church, I believe he moved me out here, and I believe he brought me out here, and, and we had just experienced a real big closed door and a real difficult time in another part of the state where it just wasn't from the Lord. God wanted me here and had to do it in a very profound, difficult, painful way. God put something in my heart that has never left and has only grown, and that is, God, if you would let me be a part of pastoring a church, if you would allow me to serve and teach the Bible and love people, I want to pastor a church and I want to be a part of a church where someone like me could come into it and be saved. Now, you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal about you? I mean, you've been walking with the Lord for a second. You just got to understand, and it's a totally different Bible study altogether. We're not, we don't have any time to get into it today, but I was really messed up when I walked into a Calvary Chapel. And I was really concerned about my life and about my little son, Eddie, and about my wife, and what my future might be. I was really concerned about going to jail for a crime that I had just committed. I was really concerned about losing my job because of... I was was messed up. I'm certain there would be people looking at my life at that time going, you know, I know God can save, but I don't know about that guy. I don't know about that guy. I mean, he's way out there, aggressively against God. I, I, sim- I have a similar testimony of Saul of Tarsus where I was violently arrogant against God and people that followed God. And, and if our church ever became a ministry that didn't reach out to punks like me, then I don't want to be a part of it. I just would call us to repentance or I would move on. If our church and our ministry ever became a place where we are prejudicial and and we are prejudging people by the way they look or by the way they smell or by the way they, what country they came from or what language they speak. That is not from the Lord. 
That is not the agape love of God. When God sees the world, he sees potential. He, he, the, the call goes out to whosoever. I mean, the, his arms are open wide. But if we examine ourselves today, we have to admit that there's prejudice in us. We have to admit that there are times, it may not be every day, but there are times we just prejudge somebody, we just write somebody off, and, and that's not the heart of God for our church. I know we're growing in it, I know we're being discipled in it, and I know how far God has brought me, but I want to go farther until I see him face to face. I want to be a part of the ministry where anybody's welcome, where we're not pre well, look at her, look at how she's dressed. I mean, do you even care about her? Why do you care so much? Do you even know her? Do you know her name? Do you know her background? Do you know what she was last night? Do you know how messed up her life was and you're worried about how she's dressed? Well, you know, uh, I, I smell alcohol on this guy next to me. I have smell his breath. And, and you know, I'm going to, I, I, I can't believe it. There's somebody who's drinking alcohol sitting next to me in a church. Well, where else do you want him? You want him at the bar? You want him laying in the gutter? Or do you want him hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ that God can deliver him from drunkenness, change his life, and renew him? What do you want? That, that's the ministry of the gospel. That's the ministry of our, our church. And I'm, I'm blessed to be a part of our church because there are just amazing testimonies. We had a testimony night the other night, just God's story through people's lives. We are a grace-based ministry. What do you, you know, what, what, what do you deserve? Uh, what do you have that you deserve? It's all grace. And Calvary Chapel is a ministry to everybody, and may it continue to be. I know they're going to come in from some messed up things. I know they're, they're going to have some crazy, some, some will be obvious. Most of the messed up stuff in this room right now, we cannot see. Did you know that? You got stuff going on in your life? We have no idea. We see you smiling. You're all dressed. Took a shower today. Everything's fine. We have no idea what's going on in your heart, but the Lord does, and he loves you. He wants to deliver you from it. He has better things ahead for you as you repent of your sins, and he has better, he loves you. And there you are kind of under the guilt of shame, under the weight of condemnation, and, and like I'm just bringing stuff up right now, and you're just kind of, your heart's beating, and, and it's really hard for you, but I've been sent by God to you today to tell you how much he loves you, man, how much he cares for your marriage and your kids that there are future grandkids and a heritage in your life. If the, Lord, if the Lord doesn't come back before that, like there's a future and a hope for you if you will turn away from your sin and let it go. That's the gospel. Whosoever, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth, will be saved, the Bible says. It's a beautiful thing. Finally, wow. Lord, I just pray you'd help us. I pray on this topic, God, that the way the world is and the way, you know, TV and political and the internet and everything, it's just made us so critical, so hypercritical of one another. And, and Lord, would you just, would you pour out on us just a deeper anointing of your grace in our lives? Would you open channels in our lives right now for the fruit of your spirit to be manifested Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control on our church, Lord. All services, everyone connected to us all over the place. The church, not just our church, but the church that we're a part of. The bigger work of, the, of, of your, your hand on the earth today, Lord. I just pray this, especially in us and what we're responsible for. In Jesus' name. Number 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is our final one today. 
1 Corinthians chapter 16. That was just a heavy moment, man. I just felt like the Lord is really moving in our church in that way, that some of you have forgotten grace, that some of you, have, you're not known as a gracious person anymore. You've forgotten what the Lord has done in your life, that he just wants to remind you that apart from him, we are nothing. Can you say that? <laughs> apart from him, I'm nothing. I owe him everything. Wow. Lord, make us gracious. 1 Corinthians 16, our final one. This is a good one. This is a one-time word in the New Testament. One-time word. Notice verse 22. 1 Corinthians 16. If anyone does not love the Lord, Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. That's the Greek word anathema. Anathema. That's not the word we're going to look at, but I wanted you to know anyway. O Lord, come. Circle those three words. That's the Greek word maranatha. Paul's doing a little play on words with the Greek here. Hey man, anybody that's not loving the Lord, anathema, away with them. Let them get what they deserve. But for us, oh Lord, maranatha. And that's the point, maranatha. The word literally means, oh Lord, come, or come, Lord Jesus. You can translate it either way. And we believe here at Calvary and teach the imminent return of Jesus Christ to rapture his church. Imminent means at any time. There's nothing on God's prophetic timetable that we must wait for in order, wait for to happen in order for the Lord to return for his church. Often this is described as the pre-tribulational, pre-millennial rapture of the church. And when it comes to end times theology, it, which end times theology, it's also known as eschatology, the study of end times, we aren't looking for the Antichrist, but we're looking for Jesus Christ. The church has not replaced Israel. God still has a seven-year period of time where he will fulfill all of his promises to the nation of Israel, pour out a special anointing in the last seven years of recorded history, followed by Christ's physical return to the earth to rule and reign for a thousand years known as the millennial period. Now, I recognize that there are a lot of varying views when it comes to the return of Jesus Christ. And this is what we believe and this is what we teach. But what is most important on this particular doctrine is that you are expecting the Lord Jesus Christ to come at any time. That you live your life with an expectation and even a heart cry, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. Why? Because God promises you, God promises you a work of purity and holiness in your life with that belief. Let me show you what I mean. We'll close in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. You may hold the differing views. I respect that. We may not agree. I respect that. But my exhortation would be, man, are you waiting for the Lord? Are you expecting him to come? Those of you that are wrestling with, with purity issues right now, those of you that are wrestling with issues of holiness and living a life that pleases God, not just for this world, I mean, how many hours do you need to work to, to know that if those hours weren't worked in the name of the Lord, they're lost? How much money do you need to spend? How much money do you need in the bank before you find out that you can't take it with you, that, that it's just going to burn, it's all going to be gone, the Lord is coming back, and He's coming back soon. And he wants to see in his church a purity and a holiness that can only come from him. Notice 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, 
Now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The hope of seeing Jesus face to face brings purity in your life. Now, of course, it's bittersweet, isn't it? Because part of us want to say, amen, you know, come Lord Jesus. But it's bittersweet because we want the Lord to come, but there are people in our lives that aren't saved yet. There are family members that don't know the Lord yet. Or we have a son or a daughter, a mom or a dad. We have a co-worker. And, or, or maybe even a more real thing, you know, the world is, 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 has some, some things in the world are, are wonderful and great. God has given to us. Like somebody goes, Man, come Lord Jesus, after I get married and have a few kids. I want to experience that. Or after my grandchild is born, or after, and you start beginning to think, well, you know, I've, I've worked so hard in my career, Lord, come back, but I'm just about to get the promotion I've wanted my whole life. And it's a wrestling between the flesh and the spirit. A wrestling between what this world, what we think this world has for us and, and what the Lord has promised to us. And I just know, and I've seen it in my own life, that the things of this earth and it's easy to get caught up in them. It's easy to get caught up on the goals and the things of, of earth, the, what Jesus would describe as the cares and concerns of life. And the cares and concerns of life can choke out the gospel in your life, choke out the purity and the holiness in your life. And so as a church, you will hear us refer to many times that sudden expectation of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not going to argue about it. We don't want to spend a lot of time arguing about it. We believe what we believe. And we're going to point you to the return of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you catch it and that you hold on to it. That our pastor and shepherd is returning again. That we need to be praying for our church. We need to be praying for our family of churches. We need to be praying for our city. We need to be praying for our state, our, our United States of America. We need to be praying for those in our authority. We need to be praying for the world. Why? Because the, the souls of men and women lie in the balance. The souls of boys and girls lie in the balance. We had twins up here for a baby dedication today. And as I was holding them, what are we praying for? That when they get to the age where they understand, they will dedicate their life to Jesus Christ and live a life that's godly unto Him. There are kids at stake. There there are families at stake. And that will be one of the emphases you see here at Calvary. That we pray that we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. And I'm so thankful and so wonderfully blessed and grateful that I walked into a Calvary Chapel some 26 years ago. I'm so grateful and wonderfully blessed that I've been able to be a part of your life for as long as the Lord allows. For almost 18 years now, 17 and a half years, we've been serving here in Colorado. And, and it's, it's an honor. It's a privilege to serve God. It's a privilege to be a part of your life. It's a privilege to pray with you. It's a privilege to teach you the Bible and to watch your kids grow up. Whether, you know, some people listening in have come through our church and now they're in another church. Well, it was an honor to serve you while you were here. It's an honor to serve this city. It's an honor to invest hours into Bible study and prayer and to visit in the hospitals. And by the way, we've got a young lady in the hospital right now 
uh, that I got a text last night. She's always, she's kind of agreed with me that she wanted to have the baby on the stage, you know, the kind of thing I've always wanted. She's kind of, but she said, no, she was in the hospital last night. So I texted her this morning. She serves in the cafe. And I said, okay, do we have the baby yet? 23 hours of labor? That just sounds difficult. Don't, I don't know how it feels. <laughs> but no baby yet. And so that was two hours ago. So 25 hours. And what an honor to know that when baby Harper comes into this world, she's coming into a godly home, loving the Lord. And maybe one day I'll get to de- dedicate her and see her grow up and hear of the testimony that the Lord's doing in her life. So, Father, thank you for the privilege of serving you. We pray for Justine this morning that the labor pains and things would soon be away and she would have that delivery of our precious little girl. Just bless her down in the hospital today and her family. Have your hand upon them. And for us, Lord, we're not not just talking about theological things and high-minded things and and heady things. This is life. This is part of how you have designed us to live our lives, how to approach the scriptures, and how to walk in your agape love. And I'm so grateful for the heritage that's been handed down to me, and for, I'm grateful for being a part of the larger work of Jesus Christ on the earth today, that I admit to you and accept, God, that we are not the only thing at all. We're a small little speck on the, on the chart of, of Christian history. But just because we're a speck doesn't mean that we're an insignificant speck, that you are doing a fresh work in us and through us even now. And we don't want to miss a thing, Lord. I don't want to miss a thing in my life. And so I just pray you would help us all with our flesh, that we might walk in the Spirit And some just getting back to that first love experience, that new believer experience. Just start telling people about the Lord, sharing the gospel. That some, you know, we don't want to just go around making a point. We want to go around sharing the love of God. So help us, Lord. Pour out your spirit upon us. And maybe you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. As the church is praying, I'm talking to some of you on the radio, on the internet, here in this room, downstairs in the overflow room. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you today before we leave. If that's you, you'd say, I need to follow God with my life. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray with you that today is the day. Today is the day that God has captured your heart with his love. Today is the day that you realize that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You heard it. We all said it together in this room. God so loved you. You go, wait a minute, Ed, I said, I heard world. Yeah, you're part of the world. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son to die for you. So you won't perish, but experience everlasting life, eternal life. And so I, I want to give just a few seconds for you, a few moments. If that's you, would you, would you respond? Stand to your feet so I could see you. Uh, I always have to remind you, you know, standing doesn't save you, but it, and raising a hand doesn't save you, you know, and those things, they don't save you, but they're, they're, they're a great opportunity. God bless you right here in the middle. They're a great opportunity for you to make a public step because the rest of your life will be publicly telling people about the love of God. Be telling your kids and your grandkids, your mom and dad, about what God did in your life. Is there anyone else? 
you know, it was a sweet moment last night, God bless you over here, where just a young woman feeling the weight of, feeling the weight of life being lifted by the forgiveness of sins. Because God does love you. And so you can ask God to forgive you right now. We're, we, we're taught by God that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So I want to give you a chance to express that. You can repeat a prayer like this after me. You could say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me and die for me. And I believe he rose again from the dead and he's alive today, saving my soul and my life. Help me, God, to turn away from my sinful past and my habits and to dedicate my whole life to you. And I know anyone anywhere, God, that prays this prayer, anyone that's crying out to you, you said you will no ways cast them out. And I just hope it's real and genuine. I hope there's true born-again work of your spirit happening in our midst. And if someone says they're following you, I'm going to believe them and treat them that way. And I'm going to love them and encourage them and teach them and help them to grow in your grace. Who knows what the future holds for them, but submitted to you, you hold that future. So God, pour out your spirit as we leave this place today. May we leave encouraged and uplifted, built up in faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.